I jotted down just some Shilas that came up today, and now they're coming up for Yom Kippur, so I thought that would be appropriate. And I don't know if, I don't know how long it'll take. I, I, you know, I was pretty busy today. I just jotted some stuff down. Happy to take questions at the end. The first one I want to mention, it happened here in Rosh Hashanah. So anytime a shayla happens in the shul, I, I want to mention, you know, what the halacha was and definitely what the consideration is. So what happened was, on the f- second day of Rosh Hashanah, they took out the Sifri Torah and someone <laughs> must have put the Sifri Torah in the reverse order. So the Sifri Torah that was meant for maftir was placed down first on the bima, and they opened it up. And when they opened it, they realized it was the wrong Sefer Torah. Now the question is, if you basically use the wrong Sefer Torah, are you allowed to just wrap it up and say, well, we're not up to this one? Or for the cover of the Sefer Torah, once it's open, you got to use it. Now that would involve being rolling from the end of Bamidbar to the beginning of Bereshis. That would have taken some time. So I decided um, we're putting it, we're, we're going to wrap it up. We're going to hand that to the other one, we're going to take the other one back, and we're going to reverse order. So, there's a teaching of the Chacham, of, of the Rav Yaakov Emden. Now, this I had to remember, that Rav Yaakov Emden was asked the following question. The Shulchan Aruch writes, I, I, I won't do most of it inside, I just want to read it to you. The Shulchan Aruch writes in Simekuf Mem Dalid, Sif Gimel, Ein goylin sefer Torah You are not allowed, now no one would ever, as a Gaba yourself, no one would ever choose to do this, but you're not allowed to take out a Sefer Torah that's in the wrong place and decide, I'll roll it. Because you're wasting people's times. You're not allowed to waste people's time. It's considered Terchadit It's not allowed. It's an interesting thing, though, that someone mentioned that at weddings, you know, there's a Minig, there's a, it's a Minig, it's, it's hard to know exactly where the Makar is. It's a Minig of Chabad, Rosh Zaman also says it. The Minig is that Ashkenazim, we don't see each other before the wedding, the week before. Svaradim, don't have such a Minig. Because of that Minig, which I'm not, I'm not, God forbid, casting aspersions. It's a, it's a minig of Chabad. It's, that's the oldest source that I have for it. Because of that, they don't take pictures before. And you're talking about <laughs> hundreds of people waiting a very, very long time. Now, I don't know if Svaradim they could take before. Now, obviously, I also know that part of the picture is after the chuppah. There's more physical, I understand that. But it's an interesting thing. We are very, very careful not to waste people's time. So because of that, you're not allowed to roll the Sefer Torah in public, initially. Obviously, the question is like this, what if you take the Sefer Torah out on a regular Shabbos? You take the Sefer Torah out and you realize you took out the wrong one. So if Yaakov Emden says it's a machlaikis, but the Psak is you are not allowed to put it back. Once you take a Sefer Torah out of the Aaron, now in the Aaron, that's fine, but once it's out, you have to use it. Because if you put it back, it makes it seem like it's a puzzle Sefer Torah. Imagine if you take a Sefer Torah out and then you put it back, that's, that's embarrassing and that's degrading to the Sefer Torah, so that's not fair. So my Cheshbin was... In this case, we're using both. I, I, I'm, I'm going to use both anyway. It's just a matter of the order. I didn't feel that it was cast dispersions on it. And that's what he brings down from Rav Primagodim. The Primagodim writes, Beferish, that if you take out two Sifri Torah and you put the wrong one down and you open it up, you're allowed to wrap it up and reuse it because the concept of Rav Yaakov Emden, that, that you have to use the one that you use, that's only true when you're only using one Sefer Torah. If you take it out, you've got to use it no matter where it is, you've got to be goyalit. But if you're using both anyway, the Torah will be Michael, and you have the fact that you're sort of wasting people's times while they're sitting there, and that would be the Halachic Shadows. I just wanted to mention before we get into anything else, I just wanted to mention that just because, you know, it did happen here, so I wanted to just, uh, you know, clarify that that was the Cheshbin behind it. That normally you're not allowed to do that, because a lot of people question, say, well, I thought you're not supposed to do that. You're only allowed to do that because you're using both. Okay, I want to mention some Halachas that are related for Aser Simei and specifically for Yom Kippur. 
So one halachic shayla. Now, aser simet tshuva. The major differences between aser simet tshuva. There are some things that people add that you know they're makbid on chal yisrael. I'm not going to get into that right now. People should be makbid on whatever they want to be makbid. I will just say this. One one quick point. This is not halacha. This is more hashkafa. You should not be machmer on your children if they're not interested in being machmer. It's it's one thing for you to be makbid during aser simet tshuva, but to be machmer on your children if they're not interested, it usually historically backfires on us. I, I don't think that would be a good idea. But the major halachic differences during Aser Yisimei Tshuva are the additions to Shmona Esrei. The additions are, we say, Micha Meicha Abarachamon, you know, Besefer Chaim. those four additions. Um, we also add HaMelech HaKadosh and HaMelech HaMishpat. Okay. Now, the halachas are very, very different, and it's very important to understand them. First of all, the four additions of Micha Meicha, Sefer Chaim. Those, if you forget, you continue. It does not affect davening. It, uh, you could still yotze shmon esrei. Don't worry. Hamelach hamishpat is interesting. Hamelach hamishpat is kind of funny because what do you say instead of hamelach hamishpat? You say melech oyev tzdaku mishpat. That's the regular nusach throughout the year. So even if you don't say the proper one, you're still mentioning melech. So the psak of the shulchan aruch and the psak of the poiskim, the mishvura, is that if you forgot hamelach hamishpat, it's okay. You're yotze. However, uh, Chabad, and I believe Svardim, I have to check that up, I believe Svardim, they prefer to read Davin as an optional tefillah. But you do not have to Davin again. If you forgot HaMelech HaMishpat, you're fine. And the last one is HaMelech HaKadosh. That's the most, the, you know, the most important one. If you forgot to say HaMelech HaKadosh, you've got to repeat. Not only if you forgot to say HaMelech HaKadosh, if, you're, if you forgot and corrected yourself after three seconds, it's too late. If you say HaKel HaKadosh, and then you're like, uh, too late. After three seconds, how long does it say Shalom Alecha Rebbe Meir? It's about three seconds. Three seconds, it's too late. So if, you, if you're not sure whether you said HaMelech HaKadosh, or if you said the wrong one, you got to repeat. Now, why do you have to repeat the whole davening? Because Chazal looked at davening into three different parts. The first part of davening of Shmonese, the first chunk, those three brachas are one block. Any mistake, any error that happens within the first three brachas, you got to repeat the whole davening. So if a person makes a mistake and does not say Hamel HaKadosh, or if you're not sure, you could assume you didn't, if you were spacing out and you find yourself into Atachonen or Hashivenu or Slachlanu, repeat. you got to repeat the davening. Now I'll just say this, there's an interesting shayla that Rav Avadya has, which I was in shul last year, it happened, not here, I was in another shul and it happened. What if the chazan says the first two brachas, all of Kedusha, it was on Shabbos by the way, so he's singing, right, everything, and then Baruch HaDasham HaKel HaKadosh. So that's a very awkward thing to do. So the question is, what does he do? So now for a regular person, you got to repeat. The question is, is a Chazin Shmon different? So Rav Vad Yosef has a truth about it. He brings down from the Me'iri, it says, you got to repeat. You messed up in the first three, you got to go back. Rav disagrees. He says, no. A Chazin's Chazar uh, Shatz, all he has to go back is to the beginning of Atakadosh. He looks at it as Kedusha sort of ends that. And Atakadosh is a new concept, and therefore any mistake in Atakadosh as a Chazin, you just go back to the beginning of Atakadosh. The other posts can look at Kedusha and Atakadosh as one, uh, one giant chunk. By the way, so practical halacha, I think practically most people, if they're aware of the Shailah, should follow Ravavadya, especially for the Chazin, it's embarrassing, they'll just go to Atakadosh and then let it go. But I will say this, though, the other Shita that holds you got to go back, because they look at Ata Kadosh and Kedusha of the Chazan as one giant, you know, one giant uh, bracha. That's why, I don't know if you ever noticed, you keep your feet together during Kedusha, right? Everyone keeps their feet together because you want to look like a malach. They're saying Kedusha, we say it with them. You keep your feet together. When are you allowed to separate your feet? So the Aruch HaSholchan brings down from the Levush, 
that the Lavush says you should keep your feet together until the Chazan's done saying Ata Kadosh. When he says Hakel HaKadosh or Amel HaKadosh, then you could separate your feet. It's because he looks at that bracha as an extension of Kedusha. Okay. So I just wanted to mention that. One more thing that's always good to know. Um, I've mentioned this many times. The Mishavura Paskins, that if you're not sure what the proper procedure is in general in davening. So this was a little confusing. Hakel HaKadosh, Amel HaKadosh, Amel HaMishpat. If you're not sure what to do, you can walk in middle of Shimon Esrei and get a sitter that has the laws in it that you could understand. Let's say you, you, you have a hard time reading Hebrew and there's an art scroll in the back that has an art scroll you know, with the English. You could walk in middle of Shimon Esrei to go, uh, to go get it. Um, the Mishabur takes it a step further. He actually says you could ask somebody. But I, I, I think uh, I've had someone do that to me. In the middle of Shimon Esrei, he walked over me and started talking to me. It's a very strange thing. I, I would, I'd advise against it if you can. Just you walk, you could check it up. If you could check it up, it's a general rule that one should know. I think I mentioned it once that the, the, the first Mishnah in the fifth parak of Brachas says a very famous line that even if there's a nachash karachalak for layafsik, which means that even if a snake is wrapped around your ankle, you're not supposed to talk during Shemon Esri. Talking during Shemon Esri is very prohibited. Even if there's a snake, a snake wrap around your ankle, you're not allowed to talk. But if you look in the back of the Gemara, there's a Talmidah Rabbeinu Yonah. Rab Talmidah Rabbeinu Yonah was a peerish on the side of the Rif, and the Rabbeinu Yonah students, they said, Notice the Mishnah says you're not allowed to talk. You're allowed to walk, though, to get the snake off. And this is the source that walking during Shmon Esrei, while it's definitely frowned upon, I'm not going to be that guy who says you could just take a walk. I saw someone in the middle of davening, he needed a tissue, he just walked around together. I, I wouldn't do that. You're still talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, But walking um, is not the end of the world. In case of necessity, walking is allowed during Shemun Esrei. The examples are this sack of the Chaya Adam and the Mishabura, that if you're not sure what the halacha is, you could walk to go check it up. Uh, there's another example. By the way, I, I would tell you like this. If you have a child in shul and the child is screaming and it's bothering 250 people, I would, take, I would walk with the child outside of davening. I remember we once had a retreat years ago. We had a retreat. And um, so... It was like a, one of these in hotels. So they had this giant, uh, you know, giant room. Everyone's davening, about three, four hundred people. Everyone's davening. Middle of Shemun Esrei, this kid starts walking. This little kid walks up. And everyone, it's like, and sort of everybody's just like watching this kid. And he takes like a sitter and he starts throwing it. And as he's throwing it, you hear everyone's like, oh. And everyone's like bothered by this. And they're looking around like where the parent is. So I'm looking around. So I, I walk to the kid. And I was like, here, come. Let's go. Let's find your mommy, whatever it is. So... It, okay, if, if walking during Shemun Esrei, if it's, if, if it's staring, everybody's kavana. I was by the kota once, and uh, <laughs> this Haredi guy, yeah, he probably wasn't 100%. Um, he left his bag uh, not next to him. So the announcement starts in Hebrew saying, anyone whose bag this is, please get it, please get it. And of course, he's davening Shemun Esrei, and they had to shut down the entire Kotel Plaza because this guy was davening Shemun Esrei. And then, when, of course, when he finished Shemun Esrei, he walked over and created Shemun Esrei. During Shemun Esrei, walking is not, if you need to, again, I, I want to stress that the point. I don't want to be the guy who says you're allowed to. It, it, in case of necessity, uh, I mentioned once the Magad Avram, the Magad Avram Adashit, and the, I think Rav Yaakov used to do this also. The Magad Avram, uh, if, if you're the rabbi of the shul and everyone's waiting for you, so they have a minion without you, and everyone's waiting for you, and it's bothering your kavana, so what the Magad Avram says you could do is you could take three steps back in the middle of davening, just do it like this, pretend that you're done, and then walk three steps forward. Because again, it's the same premise. Okay, so that's the halacha. I, I, well, I, well, conceptually, yes. 
if you really, really need the bathroom. The problem is if it's a real emergency because you can't daven anymore. But I will say this, you start, <laughs> that's not a shayla for now. If you, if you go to the bathroom middle Shemana Esrei, it creates major halachic problems of where to pick it up. But the truth is, yeah, if, 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 if you're not feeling well, if you're an emergency, you can't daven, right? If, if it's an emergency, you can't daven like that anyway. So it's a tefillah sateva, so you got to do, yeah, 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 that would be the same thing. Um, when it comes to Shemana, uh, Yom Kippur, I, I want to mention some halachas about Yom Kippur. And then I'm happy to take questions, and I'll, I'll mention. Um, actually, I got one more Shaila today that I'll mention. He was probably going to listen to this year. I'm not going to say who, but uh, so there was a, a friend of mine whose wife was ill, unfortunately. She's doing a lot better now. And they had to go to the hospital on second day Rosh Hashanah, or the first day, whatever, towards the end of the day. And he wasn't able to light, uh, wasn't able to light Yom Tov candles. So he wanted to know, does she have to add on from then on forever? Right, the halacha is that if a woman forgets to light Shabbos candles, we penalize that if, let's say, she always lit two, now she forever has to light three. So he wanted to know, is that the case over here? So I said no. I couldn't really explain because I was busy and I couldn't really WhatsApp why, but I'll explain now why. Three reasons. Uh, first of all, um, being ill does not fall into this category. We only penalize you when it was your fault, meaning if a person's just sitting there and she's just schmoozing and, and she's talking with her friends and then Shabbos starts, that's a reason to penalize someone. If someone's ill, that's not a reason to penalize someone. God forbid. If someone's not feeling well, of course they're not going to penalize you if you're not feeling well, you're not feeling well. So that's an ones, an ones. If someone's stuck on the road, you don't have to add a candle. It's an ones. Um, the Mishaburah brings down that there was an old minig that every time someone would have a child they would add a candle. So Mishaburu is not sure why. So he says that some say the reason is because when she was giving birth, she probably wasn't able to light that Shabbos because she was probably bed. But the Mishaburu says, first of all, the husband can light for her. Second of all, also, that's an ones. An ones, an ones you don't have to add. So first of all, it's an ones. Second of all, uh, it's unclear whether the penalty applies to Yom Tif. It's most likely only applies to Shabbos. Yom Tif is rare that you'll forget because you could light all night. So it's very rare for a woman to forget Yom Tif candles because you could light all night as much as Shabbos where you have a hard stop. So it's unclear whether the penalty applied to Yom Tif. And thirdly, Hisvardi. The whole Indian of adding a candle is a, is a, a creation of the Ramah. It's not brought down by the Shulchan Aruch. It's brought down by the Ramah. Rabbi has a lengthy tshuva where he discusses whether it's a Sfardi thing or not. Pashtas is not something that the Sephardim have historically been makbed on. You put all those three things together, you're definitely fine. Um, okay, two things about the halachas of Yom Kippur that I think are important to mention. One of the prohibitions of Yom Kippur is called Sicha. Sicha means anointing yourself. Now, unlike Tisha B'av, we are makbed on Yom Kippur, we are strict, that you're not allowed to anoint yourself even if it's to remove an odor. You know, Tisha B'av, we're lenient, not Yom Kippur. Meaning, you're not allowed to use deodorant even if you have body odor that's not permitted on Yom Kippur. We are machmer. Um, I will say this. Baby powder is permitted because the Paiskim say that that's not considered anointing. But deodorant would be a problem on Yom Kippur as opposed to Tisha B'av. I mentioned that halacha. Um, Spray? Yeah, that's what the Paiskim say. It's considered sicha. That's what they say. It's considered sicha. And once it's sicha, then it's asr. Even if it's to remove an odor, that would be an issue. Um, another halacha that's negea for, for, uh, for Yom Kippur, and that is... Uh, taking pills. Let's say someone has a migraine. So I'll tell you like this. You're definitely not allowed to take water. No water to get it down. That's, that's for sure. 
But let's say a person's not well, they have a migraine, they're not feeling well, and they're a chayla she'en sakana. they're a chayla that, that their whole body is affected by this, their whole, uh, their whole body is, they're out of it. Chayla she'en sakana in the laws of Shabbos is defined by someone whose whole body is affected, they would go to bed if that would help. So it's a migraine, or if it's a pill that the doctors say you need to take every single day. So the halacha is you are allowed to take that bitter, if it's a bitter pill, you're allowed to take it on Yom Kippur without water. Now, I don't know if people can get it down. I can't help you with that. But if you're able to get down Excedrin, if you have a, a Motrin, if you have a migraine, you could take a pill on Yom Kippur if you're a Choyle Shein by Sakana, um, just without water. That, that, that would be permitted. That, that would definitely be fine. Other people, people have other options, other solutions, whatever. Um, that's definitely permitted. Now, just to run through very Bikitzer, you should ask a Shaila before we do this. But Yom Kippur is unique, and that's called that's why it has it's what's called shiurim. Shiurim means that a person has to fast on Yom Kippur even if they're not feeling well. It's unlike other tenesim that you just break the fast. Yom Kippur you have to fast. The only time a person eats fully on Yom Kippur is if it's life and death threatening. If it's a chayla shiyesh by sakana, if it's life and death, you got to eat on Yom Kippur. There's no question. But there are certain illnesses where it's not life and death now, but it could lead to life and death. And in such a situation. If you speak to the doctor and the doctor says this is what you got to do, most of the time it comes up when people are pregnant. Pregnant women have to fast on Yom Kippur. But if this is a pregnancy that she knows, the doctor say, listen, this is not good. She can't fast 25 hours. So then what you do is what's called shiurim. You find out from the doctor how often they have to eat. Hopefully it's a from doctor so they could understand this a little bit better. And then you figure out shiurim. Shiurim means that you eat less than the shear. So the, the shear on Yom Kippur, if you eat the whole shear, that's chayv karis. That's not good. If you eat half of the shear, a little less than half, chatsi shear, it's aser biblically, but it's not karis. That's the sweet spot that we're talking about. So if a person is really ill, that's what they're going to start doing. The amount is as follows. Again, you have to ask a doctor and you have to ask a shayla, but a lot of people, they, they you know, if there's certain women, like basically every single time they're pregnant, this is what they got to go through. It's called shiurim. So basically, you have to figure out how much could you eat and how much could you drink and how often. So it's very simple. Let's go with food and drink. They're separate. They, they, you could do them at the same time. They're completely separate categories. Food. How much food are you allowed to eat and how often? The accepted assumption is one ounce is the amount that's permitted. One ounce. So it's a shot glass. You fill it up. You fill it up with like chocolate or like a donut or something that's, you know, got sugars because usually a lot of times... What the people are not feeling well, it's their lack of sugar. So you, you fill up an ounce. How often? So basically, every single amount has a sheet. The Chassam Seifer said nine. The Balatanya said eight. The Tzemach Tzedek said six and a half. Ramayisha said four and a half. Ramayisha in another place said four. Basically, ideally, nine minutes. You have an ounce of food every nine minutes. I'll be honest, if you eat an ounce of food every nine minutes, that's eight ounces an hour. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty hefty amount. That's, that, you'll feel fine. You'll feel pretty good after that. That's, if you need to eat it more frequently, you could cut it down to four minutes. But nine minutes, ideally. Nine minutes. Now, liquid is a little different. A liquid is totally in everybody's mouth. It's a little bit less than half of your mouth. So your mouth, uh, it's 49% of your mouth. So how do you do that? So what you do is... Before Yom Kippur, you take water and you fill your mouth till your both cheeks are bulging, like full capacity. You spit it out into a measuring cup, 49% of that. So let's say your mouth holds 3 ounces at full capacity, you could drink 1.4 ounces. If your mouth holds 2 ounces, you could drink 0.9. You do 
49% of your mouth's capacity. Now, if you didn't do this before, just go with one ounce. But ideally, you do this before. You measure your mouth before. If you're the type of person that the doctors tell you you're going to be eating shiur, and then just measure it before. So that's one. Let's go with one ounce just to make it easy. How often? Again, ideally the same amount of time. You do nine minutes. If you need for liquids, you could do every two minutes. So either nine minutes or four minutes by food or nine minutes or two minutes by liquid. And you could do it every nine minutes, basically. You have like a, a shot glass of food, a shot glass of orange juice. Every nine minutes, you're just drinking it again. And I'll tell you a psaq from Mineta Gavriel. Mineta Gavriel says, it's better for a person, I'm not going to say woman because it can be men also are like this, uh, anyone who's eating shiurim, it's better for you not to go to shul if it means avoiding shiurim even once. Meaning, sometimes people will be sitting in shul, they're not feeling well, they're not feeling well, they're tiring themselves out, tiring themselves out, and then they make themselves drink. If staying in a cold room with the lights off and, you know, under the blankets, that will avoid you eating, do that. I know that it doesn't feel like, you know, it doesn't feel like you're davening. I understand that, but, but, uh, but avoiding eating is, 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 uh, is more important. So that's the halacha for, for shiurim. Again, if they come up, you have to ask a shayla, but that's the halach of Shum. Any questions on this? Yeah? Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, sure, sure. I got that. Uh, on the previous uh, topic we were talking about with, uh, with repeating Kamel uh, HaKadosh, if you're, if, uh, if you're a Baltzfila, let's say, yeah. and the Baltzfila, uh, they got to say Hamel HaKadosh. It is private Shmanasar? Yeah, private Shmanasar. Oh, so then it's easy. Then you just, your out, out loud Shmanasar will have in mind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's, a, that's for sure. And, yeah, for sure. Have your out loud shmanesri cover it. Not a problem at all. Um, on the topic of um, uh, the anointing yourself, so let's yeah. say you put on um, deodorant or cologne or something before, like before yomtiv. Perfect. That's fine. Like even right before. Like, yeah, yeah. No, no problem. No problem at all. Yeah, that's not a problem at all. Um, I'm trying to think. Any other questions on this? We're good. Anything on anything? We're good. I wrote down one other thing. Again, I knew today would be a little bit of a shorter one because I, you know, I was pretty busy. Um, so there was another Shiloh that I wrote about, and that was to explain why people are not makbid on Chodosh and Yashan. I just wanted to explain that. Um, right? People are, people are pretty familiar with Chol of Yisrael. I get that. That means a Jew has to watch the milking of it. Then there's uh, you know, Pasakum. That means it has to be baked by a Jew. People are mocked this time of year of paspalter, not to have uh, bread that's baked by a guy like Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, Stella Doris, all these things. I understand that. But what's the deal with Chadash and Yashan? So let me just explain. It's actually in today's daf. That's why someone asked me, is it today's daf? Today and yesterday's. That, um, Chadash and Yashan means that all grain that's grown that year is not allowed to be eaten until after Pesach. So all the new grain is Asr until after Pesach. Yashan means it's last year's grain. You go into a store, sometimes they'll say, Yashan, everything's Yashan. I'm on Yashan. See, here's the real question. Why are we, why is, uh, I, I, I could, uh, whatever, I don't want to put you guys on the spot, but I assume 95% of the people here are not Makbid on Yashan. Why not? It's Daraisa. It's a biblical requirement. Everyone's Makbid on Chal Yisrael. Marashashivas themselves were not Makbid on Chal Yisrael, but they're Makbid on Yashan. And they said Chal Yisrael is a rabbinic enactment. And you have Ramosha Feinstein's Heter that the FDA serves as the Mashkiach. So everyone makes themselves so crazy about Chal Yisrael. And I get calls about from Rabbanim that we used to serve, used to because I don't get in trouble anymore. We used to serve, uh, you know, non Chal Yisrael. Chal Yisrael is a rabbinic enactment. And you have Ramosha Feinstein's uh, interpretation of Chal Yisrael. But Yashan and Chadash is Daraisa. So why, why are we not, not Makbid? 
And, and the reason why I know we're not makhdid is because to be makhdid, there's like a barcode, it's not so easy. You gotta actually like, you have to know different type of runs and different type of flower. So it's based on two heterim. Anyone who's been doing dafyomi recently knows is that is tanoim, whether chodash is a problem in chutzlarts. Now we live in chutzlarts. So there's basically three heterim that we rely on. First of all is the sheet of the Taz. The Taz says that you can rely on the Tanoim that we had in yesterday's daf, that Chodesh is not a problem in Chutzlarz. Although the Rishonim do not follow that way, you could rely on the Tanakama that Chodesh is not a problem. Secondly, uh, you have the Shita of the Mogan Avram, that he says that even if you hold that Chodesh is a problem in Chutzlarz, that the Chazal extended it, that when Chodesh, that uh, outside of Israel, Chazal created a prohibition, all new grain until Pesach is prohibited in Chutzlarz, but the Magad of Ram says that's only true for lands close to Israel, like Syria, Lebanon, America, and Europe, which was so far away, Chazal never had us in mind. They didn't extend it to us. That's the second answer. And the third answer is the Bach. The Bach famously said that the Heter is that Chadash is not a problem if it's Goyish owned grain. It's only a problem if it's Jewish owned grain. So if you have America and it's Goyish grain, right, you go you buy flour, it's not a Jewish company, it's a Goyish company, then it's completely fine. Now, I'll say this. Hasidim, historically, were lenient. Hasidim have not been makbid on Chadash. Now, why are Hasidim not makbid on Chadash? So, you'll, so someone once told me, it's because they didn't have Chadash in Europe. Uh, baloney. They didn't have Yashem, that's baloney. Hasidim, if they want to be makbid on something, they're makbid on stuff. Like that, they, they, when they set their minds on things, they're super, you know... Super duper machmer. So why is it that they're mekel? So the 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 Baal Shem Tov There's a sefer called Baal Shem Tov which has the thoughts of the Baal Shem Tov. It says the Baal Shem Tov had a dream. He was always machmer on on chadash, not the chadash, and he had a dream. And in the dream, he was in Shemayim, and he saw that they were taking buckets of water and cooling off Gehenim for forty days. And he said, "Why are you doing this?" And they said, "Because the Bach just died, and the Bach was so holy that when he dies." We're cooling off Gehenim for 40 days. So he says the Baal Shem Tov woke up and said, if the Bach is that holy, we could rely on his heter. And he asked for beer, and he asked for chadash, and he was uh, lenient on chadash. I think that's what the heter is based on. I'm not saying a person should not be machmer. You could be machmer. It's a very nice thing. If you could be machmer, beautiful. But that's what the heter is based on. It's based on the Bach, the Magad of Ram and the Taz. You put it all together, and you have the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh, and that's basically what, uh, what, what the story is. Good? Yeah. Yeah, so, listen, I'm not saying what to do. There is a concept, right? Paspalter, I just want to make that clear, uh, just to clarify, because it's important for people to know what this is. Chazal made a prohibition called bishalakum. Bishalakum means that if a non-Jew cooks food, everything's kosher, kosher materials, kosher frying pan, but they turned on the fire and they cooked it, you're not allowed to eat the food. And by the way, we actually paskin that the kalim are treif also, meaning if a non-Jew makes eggs, makes rice, right? She, she wants to make rice, uh, and she made rice in your pot, Kosher rice, kosher pot, everything. But she cooked it. It's not only you now eat the rice, it actually trafes up the pot. The pot is trafe and you have to kosher it. That's called bishalakum. We do not want food that was cooked by a guy because it could lead to intermarriage. Bread that's baked by a guy, it's the exact same thing, but instead of food, it's bread. Chazal called it paspalter. And Chazal said, listen, it's good to avoid it, but we're not going to be super strict. The reason being, in Europe... What are the two foods that you need to survive? Bread and water. And Chazal understood that bread was too hard. It was too hard. It's one thing to have a guy, a guy, I can live my whole life without going cooking eggs and, 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 and rice for me. But to have, they had bakeries. They had one bakery in the town and it was a Goyesha bakery. So Chazal said, listen, if all the ingredients are kosher, even if it's baked by a guy, it's called paspalter, it's fine. 
B'diavid is fine. It's not ideal, but B'diavid is fine, especially if there's no alternative. The post can bring down that during Aserisi Mechuva, you know, Hashem is, you know, we're in Hashem's house, so to speak, and we should be a little more machmer. It's good to be machmer on Paspalter, not to have anything that's baked by a guy. So yes, so there are people that during this 10 days, they won't have any bread baked by a guy. They won't have donuts, they won't have Stelladoras, they won't have pretzels, Gaisha company pretzels. Yeah, it's a, definitely a nice thing if you can. If you can't, it's like anything else. You got to know where you're holding. If you're able to be machmer, it's a beautiful thing to be machmer. If you're not able to be machmer, don't be machmer. But that would be a concept that is brought down. It is brought down by Paiskim to be machbid during Aseris and Mechuva, to be machbid on Paspalter. I will say this. I was asked a couple hours ago, should, should I be machmer on my infant? I said, no. If your infant has a certain type of... No, no, I understand. Listen, I said, listen, if it doesn't affect the baby, if the baby has the flavor that it's whatever oatmeal that it eats... And the oatmeal is pas yisrael, then yeah, great. I can't imagine you're feeding it donuts. But if the baby's oatmeal is pas palter, and now you're changing the baby's diet for a week, and now the baby's not going to be happy, or the child's not going to be happy, the child doesn't have to be machmer. You want to be machmer, you can be machmer. You don't have to be machmer for him. But, but conceptually, it's a nice thing if you can be. Be machmer on pas palter, it's definitely a commendable thing if you can. So the, the Indian of not seeing each other for the week before... Rav Shalim Zalman said that he, he, he would advise people not to, mm-hmm. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky also. The only Makar that I found for it is there's a Sefer called Sefer Minhagi Chabad. Mm-hmm. It was put out when the Rebbe, I don't know, in the 70s, maybe 60s. It has all Chabad Minhagim. That is there. So it's definitely a Chabad Minhagim. I'm not going to say it's a Chabad Minhagim because non-Chabad Niks are also Makhbid. That's the only source that I found for it. I know Svardim are not particular about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's unclear what the reason is. Pashas, it's just to, you know, to be to, uh, the week before the wedding. It'd be more exciting right. when they see each other the first time. Also, it's to avoid fights. Usually the week before, no, I'm, I'm not being facetious. The week before the wedding, there's usually a lot of tension. and There's a lot of things. But I will say this. I, I, I had a couple once that, that they weren't seeing each other before, the week before. And the problem is because they weren't seeing each other, it was leading to major arguments. And they needed to get together and hammer certain very important details out. And uh, my father spoke to Rav Palm about this once, and Rav Palm said, sit down and, and talk. Don't, don't, you know. The whole minig is to make sure that there's a happy chasana. If there's no chasana because of the minig, then it definitely doesn't. But it's definitely, it's a minig. It's a minig brought down by Sefer Minhagi Chabad. That's a Sefer Chabad, uh, Sefer Minhagi Chabad, that's where it's brought down. I am not aware of any other source. We're also seeing uh, today, uh, I'm getting... Yeah, that was like a nice little uh, uh, just addendum at the end, just to clarify. The Shulchan Aruch says you have to repeat if you didn't say Hamelacha Mishpat. The Mishabura, the Ramah says you do not have to. Chabad says what they say is their combination. They say you should daven as a Nidava. So Svaradim yes, Ashkenazim no, Chabad Nidava. Right.